This is the Journal of Ecology podcast. I'm Scott Chamberlain. Allison Luthan recently had a paper published in the Journal of Ecology on how climatic stress mediates the impacts of herbivory on plant populations and individuals. I recently caught up with Allison to talk about her research. I'm a fourth-year PhD student um, at the University of Colorado um, in Boulder. I'm in the Environmental Studies program. But I just uh, transferred from the University of Wyoming, where I was in the Department of Zoology and Physiology and the program in Ecology. So most of this work was actually conducted while I was a student um, in Wyoming. But I followed my supervisor, um, Dan Doak, um, to the University of Colorado, where he just took a position. I'm a population ecologist, and um, I'm really interested in the question of how um, biotic interactions affect population dynamics um, and range limits, so and how things like herbivores or predators or pollinators um, affect population dynamics. What problem was your study trying to solve? Um, yeah, so I was really, or we were really interested in understanding when and where herbivores um, exert stronger effects, so how stress um, affects the effect of herbivores on plants. Um, and there's two sort of general bodies of literature on how this, um, how herbivores may or may not exert differential effects across stress gradients. And the first is, is conducted in this um, sort of experimental framework, and it assesses the effect of herbivores and stress on individual level performance. And then the second um, tries to understand how herbivores affect community structure and how that varies, or sorry, community composition and how that varies with, with abiotic stress. And so in this paper, we were really interested in trying to, to connect these two fairly disparate bodies of literature, be addressing both individual and population level effects for one, one sort of uh, model species. So you talked about uh, different different theories um, with respect to sort of setting up the, the questions in, in, your, in your study. What, what, can you mm-hmm. just go into those a little bit? Sure, yeah. So um, the, the first, so we, we, as you said, we address these three different um, hypotheses. Um, the first is, is called the compensatory continuum model, um, which is modeled after, um, or named after Machensky and, and Whitman. Um, and this model suggests that uh, when plants um, are stressed out when they experience high levels of stress. They can't compensate for herbivore damage, which kind of makes intuitive sense. For example, if you are a plant and you're um, sitting there and you're stressed out and something comes and eats you, it's difficult to, to come back from that. It's difficult to, to compensate for that damage. And this hypothesis suggests that um, herbivores should exert really strong effects in stressful environments and, and relatively weak effects in unstressful environments. And that, t- that hypothesis is generally tested at the individual level. And then these two other hypotheses um, are generally tested at the population level. The first is um, the herbivore pressure hypothesis, or what we term the herbivore pressure hypothesis, which simply suggests that because there are more herbivores uh, or a more diverse herbivore community in unstressful areas, you should see strong effects of herbivory um, in unstressful areas simply because there are more herbivores or there's a higher diversity of herbivores. And then the final one is is um, called, or we call, the differential growth rate hypothesis. And this hypothesis simply suggests that because the maximum growth rate in the absence of herbivores, so sort of the most that you can ever grow, is higher in unstressful areas, excluding herbivores in these unstressful areas leads to a really substantial release of these plants so that they can grow a lot um, and thus reproduce a lot if you exclude herbivores in unstressful areas. And then conversely, in stressful areas, because they they're already um, 
constrained by abiotic stress, they don't, they don't exhibit this release um, if you exclude herbivores. And thus, this hypothesis, also similar to the herbivore pressure hypothesis, um, implies that, or suggests that you should have weak effects of herbivores in stressful environments because um, they have no ability to respond to those um, herbivore, or they can't respond to those herbivore events. So can you describe the differences between sort of individuals and populations and sort of these this, these two different approaches yeah. in the study and like why, why would individuals respond differently than populations? For sure, um, which is sort of a non-intuitive non thing, I would say. Um, so in this paper, we refer to these... Um, to these individual level metrics of, of how, how plants respond, um, we generally um, have we used um, reproduction and then um, height to basal area ratio. But these are both um, sort of size specific functions. So they're trying to say, what is the effect of say herbivores and aridity on um, plants of a given size? Um, but then these population level effects that we use in this paper or these population level metrics are sort of the summed effect of these functions acting on this underlying size structure. So even though herbivores might exert very strong individual level effects um, on plants of a given size, if there are no plants of that size, you're not gonna see a population level effect. Mm -hmm. um, so it's sort of the populational effects are those, are those two, the size structure and the individual level functions integrated into mm -hmm. one metric. Can you describe a bit about the uh, study system? Sure. Um, so I work um, across this aridity gradient in East Africa um, at this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, at this place called Impala Ranch. Um, and I work um, on one specific model organism, which is um, this small representative uh, sub-shrub. Um, and it has sort of an intermediate growth rate, and it's intermediately palatable. Um, it's just kind of a normal plant. It's supposed to be a representative of all the plants that, that live in this environment. Um, and it also occurs across this aridity gradient um, and also inside this exclosure experiment where um, we conducted this experiment or this study. Um, this, um, this exclosure experiment consists of four different herbivore exclosure treatments arrayed across this substantial aridity gradient um, that increases about 45% from this arid to, to the mesic site um, in, in rainfall, sorry, in annual rainfall. And so this experiment excludes herbivores of different sizes um, and it is replicated across this gradient. So how, how is that possible that you can exclude an elephant? That's a great question. Um, with a lot of electricity oh. and wires, yeah. Okay. They don't really like the electricity. Okay, so this isn't your you know, typical one-person graduate student experiment. No, 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 not at no. all. <laughs> no, it's a sort of a large-scale, it's been up for, this exclosure experiment has been up for many years, and I'm just allowed most graciously to work inside this experiment. Yeah, let's just dig into the, what you found. So can you, you know, describe some of your, some of your main findings? Sure. So um, we found... Um, so we looked for both individual level and population level um, um, effects of herbivores across this aridity gradient. And we looked for evidence for these three different hypotheses. So the compensatory continuum model, this herbivore pressure hypothesis, and then this differential growth rate hypothesis. And we found 
um, that herbivores exerted stronger effects on individual metrics, individual performance metrics in arid areas, which is consistent with this first hypothesis, this compensatory continuum model, which says that in arid areas, in stressful areas, plants can't com compensate for herbivore damage, and so they should exert stronger effects um, in, in these arid areas. But then at the population level, we found that herbivores actually exerted stronger effects um, in mesic areas, which is consistent um, with these other two hypotheses. So this herbivore pressure hypothesis and then the differential growth rate hypothesis. Um, and but, but um, sort of idiosyncratically, our system actually does not have um, higher densities of herbivores in um, the mesic areas, which is sort of the usual pattern. Um, it has higher densities of herbivores in these arid areas, which um, suggests then that this herbivore pressure hypothesis is not supported and that um, we do see support for this differential growth rate hypothesis. Um, and then finally, we found that um, interestingly, um, herbivores, these, the effects of herbivores tend to be mediated by recruitment events, which kind of makes sense, um, or is sort of consistent with um, what one would expect. But then also these herbivore um, the effects of these herbivores appear to be a function only of um, these very small herbivores. So we talked a little bit about elephants before, but elephants apparently aren't doing very much, but it's these, it's these very small um, uh, ungulates that uh, are, are quite small. They're about five kilos, and um, they appear to be exerting most of the, most of the um, effects of all the herbivore communities. What do you think it all means? Uh, like, do you have various these experimental findings over the aridity gradient and it supports some hypotheses more than others. So what, what, what does this mean for plants along this, along this uh, gradient and then also, you know, within each, you know, dry spots and, and wet spots? Right, yeah. So I think, um, so the, this, this study um, outlined in this paper is part of sort of this larger experiment that tries to understand um, how herbivores um, do or do not affect species range limits and, and population level um, performance and sort of persistence and health and tries to understand do they exert stronger effects um, in certain areas, um, in stressful areas or unstressful areas, and where are these, where are the effects of herbivores most important? And I think this um, is really important to understand because it, it will allow us to help, it will allow us to project how species um, where species will move with climate change. So thinking about this aridity gradient could be a good proxy for, um, for shifts in, in aridity with climate change. And then these different exposure, excuse me, exposure treatments can act as, as um, sort of simulating these different extinction scenarios. So if elephants go extinct, or if elephant go extinct, for example, or if um, everything bigger than an impala, sort of a mid-sized deer-sized ungulate um, goes extinct, what will plants do and, and how can we sort of use this information um, to predict where species will, will shift their distributions with climate change? Hmm. But um, yeah, so I think these population level effects are really important to understand um, and, and to be able to understand how to predict, how to use individual level data to predict um, population level effects is something that, that um, would be useful to, to understand how that mechanistically works. So Africa's a bit of a... Um, I don't know if it's unusual, but it's it's somewhat quite a bit different than uh, than other continents that don't have all those you know, diversity of large right mammalian herbivores that are sort of roaming across large areas. Right. So, so how general do you think? I mean, these results are. I mean, other continents obviously have these similar aridity gradients, but 
would you expect the same sorts of things to happen across the gradient um, in terms of are there very differences? Yeah, so I think that um, there's two there's two things that I think are applicable about this study to other to other systems, and the first is that um, obviously, sort of in the past, um, um, other places, other continents had sort of these large, these big, um, er diverse herbivore communities, and I think that that my results and results conducted in Africa generally can really help us understand what that what that place looked like before before those herbivores went um, were extirpated. And um, I think that's really important in trying to understand, okay, are the results that we find in systems that are not so herbivore diverse, can we, what is that, what did they look like before and how might our results change if, if we think about sort of what, what was going on before herbivores um, were, went extinct. Um, and then I think secondarily, I think that large mammalian herbivory is um, similar in some ways to insect herbivory. I don't think that um, um, that the results are sort of exclusive to, to large herbivore, to large mammal, mammals. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think, especially because some of the results that I found, as I alluded to earlier, surprisingly, that these small herbivores that that presumably sort of um, affect this this um, this sort of chronic low intensity herbivory, sort of similar to to, to some sorts of insect herbivory, um, those appear to be exerting these very, very strong effects, and then these sort of big, large ungulate, or these big mammals don't appear to be exerting strong effects. And so I think mm -hmm. that that finding suggests that, um, that, that these results could be applicable to, to other types of um, herbivores. But what, what, what else do you plan to do to, 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 to build on this research? Yeah, so, um, so as I alluded to before, the, this paper is part of this larger study that tries to look at sort of these context-dependent effects of, of herbivores, again, with the eventual, eventual goal of trying to understand if herbivores affect range limits and does, does the importance of herbivores vary with, with abiotic stress, and how can we use that information to project shifts in species distribution, sorry, in species distributions. Mm -hmm. um, but, but so this study is, that study is part of a larger study that tries to look at sort of generally the importance of biotic interactions um, across across um, stress gradients. So trying to understand, do not only do herbivores vary in importance for population level performance and thus range limits, but, but how does the effect of, let's say, pollinators or um, uh, um, competitors or facilitators, sort of neighbors, vary across stress gradients? And, and can we use that information on the importance of biotic interactions to predict when and where species will shift their distributions um, given the shifts in other species distributions at the same time. Um, so that's the sort of overall goal. We have been speaking with Allison Lufthansa for the Journal of Ecology podcast. I'm Scott Chamberlain.